great words of comfort in that hymn. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. You can find it on page 995 in your pew Bibles. And just a little note about the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. If you were here last week, know that you are not in the twilight zone. We did look at this passage last week. I felt as though I did not do it justice at all. I never feel like any sermon does scripture full justice, uh, but I felt particularly last week that it wasn't going where it needed to go. And so I decided to look at these verses again, uh, not trying to repeat things I said last week. I'll touch on them, but also to elaborate on things that needed to be elaborated on and hopefully, unlike last week, to actually finish the sermon. So just a few words of explanation there. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what kinds of things can make living for Jesus hard? Two, what are some things we should remember when we are afraid or discouraged? Three, the people, or, sorry, three, the Bible and the power of the gospel can never be stopped by people or powers that hate it. How is that possible? Second Timothy chapter one. Beginning in verse 6, this is the word of God. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word, and you have spoken to us, and you've spoken to us clearly. We pray that we would receive that which we've just read as your word, because that's what it is, the very words of you, our living God. And as we move into the sermon, where we pray that you would please help the preacher, please send your spirit, help with clarity, help with application, or administer to us, 
minister to the minister and minister to everyone who will hear by sending your Holy Spirit in a special way. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul is encouraging young Timothy in the ministry in the face of what could potentially be spirit-quenching circumstances. Timothy is in Ephesus trying to minister to the church there, trying to administrate the church there, preaching the word, teaching the word, disciplining in the church, and all the different things that come with the ministry. And Paul is calling him to keep those gifts that God gave him to that purpose lively. He faces many challenges. He faces trouble from within, from within the church. He faces trouble from outside of the church. Persecution has begun to increase. Nero's in charge. Paul is in jail because of the faith, and things are rough. He could easily be discouraged. He could be frustrated with the people of God. He is dealing with obstinance on the part of some. And even his own disposition could work against his own zeal for the ministry if he were inclined to retreat or shrink back from some of the challenges that he was going to face. But Paul is saying the last thing that you can do is to let the gifts that God has given you lay dormant. But instead, fan those gifts into flame as if they were coals that need to be to be blown upon to start up the flame again. And do that regularly. Keep your ministry, keep your gifts that you've been given by the Holy Spirit alive. Paul knew the challenges that Timothy would experience. Paul dealt with them in more ways than most people will ever deal with the challenges of the ministry from every angle. And we'll see later that he's not afraid to use himself as, as an example, as an inspiration to Timothy, but also to any Christian who's willing to follow in the ways of Christ. That's where the application comes for us. Every true believer has been given the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Christ has been filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted with gifts of service. And not a one of us can ever let those gifts just lay there and do nothing. And so that exhortation to fan those things into flame applies to all of us. Different gifts, different callings, different places in life, but all have been given gifts. We've been called to follow Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we've been engifted for service. But if we're going to serve, just like Timothy and just like Paul, there has to be a purpose to why we're doing what we're doing. Stands to reason that we need to have a clear purpose to be motivated to make the effort to be involved in kingdom work. I'm going to offer you four G's, four motivations to be involved in kingdom work. First of all is very simple, gratefulness. Gratefulness. Our whole lives are to be dedicated to the God who saved our souls. It's very simple. You think of those stories where somebody saves someone else's life. And the person who was saved by someone's intervention is, is devoted and dedicated to them, sometimes ad nauseum. Sometimes it drives the person who saved them so crazy that they can't take any more. 
But if humans can be so inclined to humans for intervening and maybe saving our souls, helping us with tremendous help when we need it, how much more those of us who had souls, who have souls, who were in jeopardy of eternal condemnation and in God's mercy and in God's sovereign grace and his love, as we saw last time, his electing love for the sake of people like us, how much more should we be grateful to God and live lives wholly devoted to him? Wholly devoted to him. So the first G is very simple, grateful. Second one, to glorify God. The very purpose we were created was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But being redeemed in Christ, we are the ones, if we're in Christ, and his people everywhere in Christ are specially gifted and called to be the ones who glorify God in this dark and fallen world. And it's all based on the third G, the gospel. The gospel, that's what it's all about. Paul stresses that again and again in his word throughout. But here's the sum of it here in our passage. Beginning in verse 8. Again, second part of verse 8. The gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's the gospel of salvation. There's not one soul in this room who claims Jesus Christ as Savior who cannot be deeply appreciative for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have heard and you've believed. And so we've been given that gospel. Our salvation is bound up in that gospel, and that should also inspire us to share that gospel with others. So grateful hearts glorifying God in the gospel using, and here's the fourth G, and this is still just the introduction, gifts for service. All been given gifts for service. Every Christian. Every Christian has been given gifts for service, for kingdom work, alongside of your vocations. Your vocation is to glorify God as well. In fact, we're to glorify God in all things. But every Christian has some kingdom-specific work to do. Paul inspiring Timothy and Paul inspiring us, I sum it up in three ways. First of all, you are filled. Secondly, be fearless. Third, because your God is faithful. Your God is faithful. First of all, you are filled. Consider the fact that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Last time, I elaborated a little bit more on the elements of the blessings and the gifts from God. But very simply, Paul says there are three very profound things given to us there in verse 7. God gave us a spirit, I think better read, the spirit indwelling us, not of fear, so put all fear away. He's given power and love and self-control. How rarely we tap into that. 
that in our lives. We feel so powerless. And, and it's important for us to see our own weakness, but it's, it's equally important to know that the power of God is exerted in us. He's given us the power to love. He's given us self-control. How quickly we forget that. We give in so easy to our temptations. But, but let's not forget that we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit giving us power and giving us that intensive Christ-like love that we could never attain to ourselves and giving us the strength and the ability to exercise self-control. That is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians. So don't give in. Don't give in easily. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He is in us to sanctify us and to equip us and strengthen us and to inspire us in what he's called us to do. So often we forget the third person of the, of the Trinity. You ever fall into that? You think, think it's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus and God is my Father. But the very presence of Christ in us is through the Holy Spirit. The very way we commune with God is through the Holy Spirit. So we're given this, this gift, this presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the materials for ministry. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word, you have gifts of service. First of all, apply it to Timothy. Timothy had a unique set of gifts. He had to develop those gifts. He had to be discipled. He had to be mentored, but he was ordained for the ministry. He had special gifts. He had to be able to preach and to teach and to shepherd the flock. And he needed to be encouraged by the fact that God engifted him to do that. But the same is true for all of us. Given gifts, we're called to follow. We need to tap into what our gifts are for use in the kingdom. Some of you know what those gifts are and you're using them. Some of us have gifts that we're allowing to lay dormant for whatever reason. Some are still, still trying to unearth what those gifts are, but whatever the case is, we know from Scripture that we're given gifts and we have to use them for his glory. We all have different skill sets. We all have different abilities, responsibilities. But we're all called to be active, to exercise our faith and our gifts. In other words, we can't just let those coals of the gifts that God has given us sit there and smolder. We have to fan them into flame. Regularly stoke those coals to keep them ablaze. It's not as if we just have one flicker of a fire, one burst of a flame, but, but to keep the ministry, keep our gifts alive and, and at work. So Timothy needed to understand this. Timothy, don't ever let the challenges of the ministry, the discouragements, throw cold water on your coals. Instead, fan them into flame. Doing that takes effort. Doing that takes effort. It takes effort on our part when we apply this to ourselves. Fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. Now, I know full well that some of you are maxed out. Maxed out in your ministry. 
And I want you to be very careful that you don't burn so fast and so hard that you burn out. In fact, I would suggest that in order to keep the flame going, sometimes people have to step back a little bit and regroup and you might say refuel for the fire. Some of us are, are dealing with that and need to work with that. Some are working at a good pace, keep that steady pace going. Some might be starting to cool off a little bit and become dormant and starting to withdraw from doing kingdom work. Don't grow cold. And some are still trying to figure out what their gifts are. And I personally would welcome any of you to talk to me to help you to try to discover them. And I know that the elders here would do that as well, and the deacons. But we're all gifted and we all have to use them. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but that is, is part of the heart of this message. Some of you might say to yourselves, I, I, could, never, I could never teach. I could never talk to somebody about Jesus. I could never go on a mission trip. I could never go and volunteer at the mission. I just can't ever see myself doing that. Stoking the fire, stoking the coals takes effort and it may stretch us. I'm not a very good example of many things, but I want to share with you a little bit of a story. Just the other night, I was talking to a girl who just started college and she's in a, in a public speaking class. And it immediately threw me back to junior college, speech class. I've been told that public speaking is one of the top fears next to death for people, and then I think I do it every week. But when I took speech class, I was terrified to even get up in front of a small class and speak to them. I wasn't alone. Most people in the class were somewhat terrified. Then I went to real college, and I had to introduce a speaker in a public forum, maybe a gathering about this big. And granted, it was kind of an intense situation. It was, boy, this is timely, a Jewish man coming in to speak about the situation in the Middle East. The year before, there had been a bomb threat on campus because a Muslim man came in and spoke. I can't remember exactly which way it went, but all I know is this. I had to introduce this man, and his name was, was Dr. Cook. And for weeks, literally weeks, I was terrified because I was 100% sure I was going to stand up in front of all these political science majors and people from campus and say, let me introduce you to Captain Hook. That's how terrified I was. And when I looked out, I couldn't see anything. I was so nervous that all I could see was my one political science professor, who's the one who got me up there to begin with, and he had a big smile on his face. Let me drag out the story just for a moment further. Because after that, I got called to the ministry. And it began to dawn on me, if I'm going to be a preacher, I better learn how to speak in front of people. But I still remember the first time I was going to preach in the church where I did my internship, and it was a legit church. And I was there in my pastor's office alone, looking out the window. 
and people kept coming in the parking lot. And we were in a building where the sanctuary was detached from the building, it was a little walkway. And I remember thinking to myself, if only, if only I could die right here, or if only something dramatic would happen, like the building would catch on fire or something, anything, to keep me from going in there in front of all these people and preaching. But I had to be stretched. And if I was right in my calling to the ministry, I knew that somewhere inside I had this gift. And, and it wasn't automatic. I had to work at it and fan it into flame. And when I got in there and preached, I was still terrified. And the only face I could see was my brother who visited that day, sitting in the middle of the congregation. I'm thinking, can't see anybody but him. Needless to say, the Lord has allowed me to be a preacher. And it still is a daunting thing to handle the word of God. And I still get nervous, but the Lord has brought me to a place where that gift I trust is being useful for his kingdom. Now, we're not all called to preach. We're not all called to teach, but we're all called to take whatever gifts God has given to us and use them for his glory. For Timothy, the challenge was going to become increasingly intense. Paul knew well what it was like to suffer for being in the ministry. But he knew that for a Christian, it was essential, critical to use the gifts that God has given. He knew the words of Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Whatever the case is, challenge and even sometimes amusing as getting our gifts together and fanning them into flame may be, Using what God has given us is a very serious matter. Very serious matter. The context of Matthew 25 is Jesus speaking about judgment. And he tells this parable of the talents. And please understand, as I've heard it misused before, this isn't talking about your, your talents necessarily, like, like your ability to write or your ability to sing or your ability to whatever, although that would be under the category of what God has given you. This is really talking about what we're talking about in our passage, the gifts that God has given you to use for his glory. 25.14, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone, to, for to everyone who has will be more given, and he will have an abundance, but for those who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in a place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, certainly the talents are the money. But the idea is these are the gifts that God gives. And certainly it's a very dramatic ending there. And obviously these are not converted people who end up where uh, in outer darkness, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it's a very sobering message to those who are in Christ who have these gifts. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, or Jesus does say, according to their ability. They're gifts that are given to be used according to ability. And people either choose to just let them sit there or use them. And the message is clear. For those who want to be faithful to the Lord, they must use them, will never be at ease in their hearts if they don't. Well, again, for Timothy, using his gifts is going to become increasingly intense. Paul knew what it was going to be like for Timothy. He had been through it himself, through the suffering that he's dealt with. In fact, Paul says elsewhere, all, elsewhere, all who choose to live godly will suffer persecution. So, Timothy, you are filled. Christian, you are filled. Timothy, be fearless. Christian, be fearless. I suppose that's easy to say when when we're in such a time of luxurious peace and very little pressure for being a Christian here in our culture, it's almost expected in many ways that you're a Christian. Thank the Lord for that. Pastors, for the most part, are still recognized with respect in our immediate culture here. Not so for many of our brothers and sisters. For Timothy, it was going to be intense, and he needed to be fearless in doing the ministry that he was called to do. He needed to know that he had nothing to fear. Nothing to fear except his own insecurity, his own lack of trust in God, and perhaps, perhaps a temptation towards complacency. But Timothy, you belong to God. And the God of all creation, the almighty God, is the one who saved you and he will keep you. And Christian, that's true for you too. 
But not only that, you have examples to follow. Paul's not afraid to use himself as an example. It seems a little backwards, doesn't it? Timothy, Christians, look what the ministry has gotten me. <laughs> doesn't sound like a great advertisement. Paul has a litany of suffering credited to him. He's been abandoned. He's imprisoned. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11 and other places, he gives that, that list of what he's gone through. But you see that this isn't just, this isn't just a, a job for Paul or a job for Timothy. And Christianity is not just a, a religion for us or a job for us. It is, it's a life that's a calling to serve in the kingdom of God. Timothy's been ordained, he's been examined, he's ready to go. He needs to be willing to suffer for Christ. I don't think I've ever in any examination in any presbytery I've been a part of, we've ever asked a pastor who's being examined for the ministry, are you willing to suffer for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to exercise the gifts, fanning them into flame to the point where there are going to be those who want to douse that flame and even put you out? Never ask that question. Thankfully, it's not that relevant of a question in our culture. Different for many of our brothers and sisters, as I've already said. But Paul says, follow my example. Let my suffering, first of all, never be ashamed of my suffering, but let my suffering be an inspiration to you. At the very end of this letter, and I'm running ahead purposely, chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this about his ministry and his life. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knows that his work, his race, his devotion to Christ and the gospel ministry is worth it. And all of us who are in this race, in this journey, need to understand that what we do for the kingdom of God is worth it. It requires sacrifice. It requires effort. But Paul has envisioned at the end of this race, at the end of this race, standing in the presence of God. And given this wreath of victory, this crown of victory, having finished well, surely hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Paul has in mind. He did have some helpful companions along the way, and I would love to elaborate on that. I won't do it now. 
He did have support from other people. He did have that fire in his belly given to him by God. He knew that God was with him and faithful, so he could persevere. But he knew that at the end of it all, even being put to death for his faith, there was final victory. How did he know that? Because he belonged to Christ, and Christ went before him. And he knew that God was going to keep him and protect him and bring him to the end. And he would receive a crown of glory, that his suffering would not be in vain. You see, his focus was ultimately on Jesus. Ultimately, at heart of everything he believed, everything he did, everything in the gospel that he preached, everything in the whole counsel of God that he understood pointed him to Christ. And he knew that he could endure and persevere because the Lord was his strength. We're exhorted this way in Hebrews 12, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul had his eyes fixed on Christ. Timothy had to keep his eyes fixed on Christ. I need to keep my eyes fixed on Christ. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. He will keep us. He will bring us to the end. Christ is the ultimate. He's our redeemer, but he's also our example. But when we finally get there and we receive that crown of victory, when we stand before the one who has the crown of, of royal divinity, I would imagine that we will take those crowns and drop them at his feet. Drop them at his feet. And finally, while we are on the journey toward that final end, we are to be working for the kingdom of God. We don't know what trials will come. We know that we're guaranteed challenges. We may not be blessed to suffer the way that Jesus says, blessed are you who suffer for my namesake. We may never be martyred. Most of us probably won't go out in a blaze of glory. But we can live lives that are on fire for Christ. And in the end, we want to hear, welcome home, good and faithful servant, well done. Drop our crowns before him. But again, in the duration, from the youngest to the oldest, keep the fire of the faith burning through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts you've been given. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for the great salvation that we know in Jesus Christ. Most of us would admit before your throne of grace we have no idea 
just how precious that truly is. May it be through grateful hearts that we would at least begin to express our gratefulness, our thanksgiving to you for our great salvation, that we would glorify you. How thankful we are for the gospel of our salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you have given us gifts for service. You've sent your Holy Spirit to empower us, spirit of power, of love and self-control. Lord, please forgive us if we've seen that as mundane. When we've just let the things that you've given to us by your grace, through your spirit, if we've just let them sit. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to fan into flame the gifts that you've given to us, that precious abiding faith. Lord, that you would help us to keep our faith lively and our gifts useful to you. Lord, we pray that you would fan the flames of this church. Help us to fan the flames of this church. You have gifted us tremendously with the makeup of the body here. Help us each knowing our part to work for your kingdom. Lord, with all that you've called us to do, we pray that we would glorify you. But help us to use our gifts specifically oriented to your kingdom work. Again, all for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom through the power of your gospel. Amen.